The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. What it shows you is that the people holding this hearing, for the most part, and the witnesses, have opened up their minds to the possibility, and frankly, the reality, that there are objects in the sky, they are objects, and there's no explanation for what they are. Just being able to admit that out loud, I think, is a huge step, and fascinating and mysterious and, like, slightly unsettling to be clear but that's that is important and i think that people deserve to know that not just from the standpoint of these could be potential threats to us national security and national interests but the government has the capabilities and the technology to detect these objects and if it genuinely says like look these things are very strange and fascinating and we don't know what the heck they are people should know that I'm David Priest, publisher of Lawfare, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, May 20th, 2022. Congress this week held its first public hearing on unidentified flying objects in more than 50 years as the House Intelligence Committee's Subcommittee on Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation hosted two Department of Defense officials to discuss military encounters with unexplained objects. I sat down with The Washington Post's Shane Harris, who has been watching this issue for quite some time, and watched the hearings quite closely to talk about the long U.S. government history with UFOs, now called Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, the recent move toward more transparency, and the legitimate reasons, having nothing to do with aliens, why some things will remain classified. It's the Lawfare Podcast, May 20th, UAPs. UFOs. WTF. Finally, this week, after decades, we got to talk about UFOs. But actually, we didn't talk about UFOs. But we got to talk about things like UFOs in an open congressional hearing. And thankfully, Shane Harris of the Washington Post and my co-host of the Chatter Podcast was paying attention to these hearings and picking up on what was said and what wasn't said and why it all matters. Shane, thanks for coming on the podcast to talk about it. You know you do not have to twist my arm to talk about UFOs. No, but it's fun to twist your arm, so Mm. I'll probably do it anyway. This is a big day for me, David. I'm very happy to be talking to you about it. Well, it's interesting because we, we had a rare case this week, which is in this incredibly polarized 
political environment when Democrats and Republicans can't really seem to agree on much of anything. We had very similar sounding statements from the Republicans and the Democrats on a subcommittee talking about UFOs. The one thing that we can agree on is something that seems like it should be the the most contentious topic. And I want to talk about the the history of this and how we got to this open hearing for the first time in a long time. So I think we do need to go back a little bit. Let's go back to, I don't know, the 1940s, the 1950s. Mm-hmm. What was the general attitude of the U.S. government when it came to reporting on instances of unidentified flying objects, UFOs, as they were called then. And how did that evolve during the Cold War? Well, I think it's safe to say that the U.S. government didn't exactly have a transparent process for reporting on UFOs. And it, you know, and the military certainly wasn't encouraging, I think, people to personnel to report them in a standardized way, the way they are now, which we can get to in a bit. But probably the biggest really systematic study, the only systematic study of UFOs that the government or the military ever did was done by the Air Force, uh, something called Project Blue Book, which listeners may have heard of before. I think there was a television series maybe based on it. You'll see History Channel documentaries about Project Blue Book. This ran from the early 1950s, I think 1952, and was terminated at the end of 1969 headquartered, I think, at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And, and basically what this was, was, you know, an investigation into UFO sightings. And it had a couple of goals, one of which was to determine whether UFOs posed a threat to national security, which is also at the heart right. of the more current efforts too, which is interesting. Blue Book didn't come up with any real determinations, I think it's safe to say. And it kind of closed the book, if you will, on affirmative and somewhat public government efforts to get to the bottom of what were then sightings that people reported. There are, you know, fuzzy photographs of what look like flying saucers and strange objects, and people had reported strange lights in the sky or, you know, explosions even that they saw on the ground. And, and, and this is kind of the stuff that becomes, you know, the fabric to some degree even of urban legends about UFOs and sightings in the desert and Roswell, New Mexico and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But the Air Force did investigate this for a number of years. And when they stopped, there had been no public hearing on the question of UFOs by government officials uh, in 50 years, more than 50 years until this week. That was the first time that we had seen U.S. government officials come forward, talk about this subject and what the government knows about it. That's that's so interesting because obviously pop culture has been full of this in the time from the 1960s to now, but you, you have to go back to 1966 when Gerald Ford, then the Republican House minority leader, not yet vice president or president, held some hearings. And, and that's that's it. Nothing has happened since 1966. Project Blue Book was still active at the time. And we've missed everything that has come because of that, at least in terms of open congressional testimony, right? That's right. Yeah. There hasn't been any kind of open testimony on this and no real official open investigation uh, that we knew about for a long time until mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. And we can, we can get to yeah. that as well. It's important to remember, though, in all of this, that the sightings didn't stop. I mean, people continued reporting sightings and importantly, military pilots reported sightings, commercial airline pilots reported sightings, Mm -hmm. 
personnel in other countries reported sightings. So it's not as though just because Project Blue Book closed that people stopped seeing unidentified flying objects in the sky. They, they certainly did not. The volume of reporting just continued. Let's distinguish between those types of sightings. So on the one hand, we have the things that probably show up quite often on the so-called History Channel and in a lot of conspiracy forums, which is you know, somebody in their backyard looking through the trees and there's what looks like a flying saucer. And these mm-hmm. are the ones that, in my experience, are quite easily debunked, uh, often because the people who who took those shots later show how they did it by dangling an object near the camera or by creating yeah. a reflective artifact that the camera picks up on that that looks interesting. Right. So the hubcap on a string. Exactly. Yeah, at, at the extreme, it's yeah. literally a saucer somebody holding up on fishing wire. But let's put those aside because that's that we're not really talking about that, even though right. that's the kind of thing that can capture the public imagination. What we're talking about is things that often it's military pilots, but it can be civilians often in the American West, which makes it interesting that there are objects moving in the sky in a, in a way that either people don't understand. It doesn't correspond with what they've seen from commercial aircraft and what they've seen from celestial objects. Or it's pilots seeing things that they can't understand based on their frame of reference. So in the first subset of that, talking about people seeing things moving in the sky, often at night, and they can't describe how they're moving, we actually have explanations for a whole lot of these now because they were things that could not be made public at the time. But decades later, we know that there were a lot of uh, U.S. industry and U.S. government developmental projects going on. Talk through that a little bit and how so much of the UFO movement in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s was was actually an outgrowth of no kidding U.S. efforts to develop advanced technology. Yeah. I mean, you kind of said it. Uh, it it's These were secret government projects to develop aircraft, supersonic aircraft, stealth aircraft, uh, you know, things that were being tested, particularly out there in the, in the West, where there are testing ranges and famously, you know, so-called Area 51 uh, is one of them. Uh, the Groom Lake Test Facility, I think it's also called. And people did see these craft in the sky and they would have looked strange. They would not have looked like contemporary aircraft. They would have been moving very quickly. They might have been more triangular in shape. They might have appeared to have wings that looked unusual. And now we see them and we say, oh, yeah, that's like an SR-71 or that's a stealth plane or whatever. We know that stuff now. And I think the government has, has more or less confirmed that Many of these sightings were likely classified projects that people had seen, and the government did not cop to them because they're not going to reveal the classified project because they principally didn't want the Soviets, I'm sure, at the time finding out about it. And later, you know, other adversaries as well. And so this is an era when this is happening where the folklore and even the paranoia that develops around UFOs and whether they might be aliens from outer space is actually very useful to the U.S. government because it's distracting people from the more obvious, maybe not obvious to them at the time, but ultimately correct explanation that, no, you are seeing something in the sky. It's just a test aircraft. It's an experimental military aircraft, and they don't want to talk about it. Now, that doesn't get you into the category of people who have reported being 
you know, abducted by aliens and probed on ships. And I don't even really put that. That's just not something that I think is really all that worth discussing for for a number of reasons. It's just those are single accounts that have no accompanying evidence and they're not consistent, whatever. And I probably get a lot of hate tweets for saying it. But we're talking about people who saw something in the sky that later could be either conclusively determined to be a military aircraft or a weather balloon or even some kind of anomaly. Uh, we're not talking about here, you know, reports of people being visited in the night by little green men. So you've you've talked about one chain of logic by which these these phenomena were not openly and completely discussed, which is there were actual, no kidding, U.S. government secrets that were, were being held back. But th- there's another side to this too, isn't there? That in fact, there was a, a real disincentive for people in the U.S. military itself to report the real anomalies. If they were they were flying and they saw something in the distance that they couldn't understand, they, they did not want to be thought of as crazy because they were talking about UFOs and aliens, right? Oh, absolutely. There is a prevailing stigma in the military and particularly among pilots and aviators about reporting sightings, which is kind of interesting because so many pilots, I think, will tell you anecdotally that they have seen strange things in the sky that they, they don't know what they are. And there's a couple of reasons for, for this. I mean, one is I think that there is just a kind of culture in the military that is all about the mission. And pilots are generally supposed to be very serious and performing at the height of their abilities. And you know, if you're purporting seeing strange things in the sky, putting aside the way that they're often teased and kind of ridiculed for that because they start to sound like, frankly, the people I talked about a moment ago of mm-hmm. I was abducted by an alien. It raises real questions. If you are a pilot flying a multi-million dollar aircraft and you're seeing things, it raises questions potentially about your competence. Mm-hmm. Why are you seeing things? Are your eyes not working? Um, is there something wrong? Are your synapses not firing properly? Are you hallucinating? And so in addition to just the the humiliation and the and the ribbing that a lot of pilots take over these kinds of sightings, I think that they also didn't want to have anyone suspect that they might not be performing at the height of their abilities. Uh, and particularly when you're talking about, you know, pilots flying fighter jets. I mean, you know, we all have seen Top Gun and understand sort of the the edge of the envelope these people are operating on. These are very sophisticated, highly trained people that are expected to perform, you know, almost flawlessly, I think, in their job. And so the, when you when you have a culture that you know expects that kind of technical perfection, I think that's another reason why so many pilots were reluctant to talk about this. And this has been true, too, of commercial airline pilots as well. I mean, people not wanting to jeopardize their job or have Mm -hmm. people think they've gone funny somehow. And this has been a real problem that the military has been in recent years trying to correct, to basically say to personnel, we no longer want you to hide these sightings. We want you to report them. Because we think we're not saying they're aliens, but they could be enemy aircraft. They could be other threats posed to our forces. So you need to report that. And part of that big effort, and that's what this week's hearing was about, was to destigmatize that reporting. Right. And I seem to recall that you spoke for chatter with Leslie Kane about this, who had done a lot of the reporting going back, what, 10 years or more yeah. on this. And 
I, I, you know what? I think let's pull a clip on that um, because I think she described really well the disincentives in the U.S. military towards reporting these things and the impact it had on actual national security. It was much harder for American military to speak publicly about this than it was in other for, for comparable people in other countries. It was there were a couple of retired people who would speak about it, but active military would not speak about it uh, except off the record. And it was I, I really that was the point when I really became aware of this incredible stigma that we have in America against this topic. And I learned over the years. Uh, that it was not the same in other countries. It was not as severe. So I was very motivated to try to break through that because I saw the irrationality of it, that it, it made no sense to me. Uh, that there's this factual information. And if people are seeing, you know, strange, you know, or seeing objects that could be a national security threat and they're not supposed to report them and they're not supposed to talk about them, uh, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, uh, me included. You know, one of the jobs that we expect our pilots and aviators to perform is, you know, protecting the ships that they're attached to, protecting the United States. Um, they're performing a national security mission. And so if they are seeing objects in the sky moving at incredible speeds, behaving in strange ways, uh, they might reasonably expect that's a national security threat or a potential threat, at least to their immediate, you know, the forces with which they're working. So why would you not want them to report that? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, to put it another way, if they saw a strange craft moving around doing extraordinary things and it had insignia on it of a Russian military jet or if it had, you know, Chinese insignia on it, of course they would report that. Right. They would be able to say, oh, that's a Chinese aircraft. That's some new super hypersonic Russian uh, plane or, or weapon. But because they can't identify it, mm -hmm. you know, the stigma is such that, oh, you're talking about aliens again. I mean, I go through this. I mean, as you know, I mean, and mm -hmm. I, you know, get gently teased about this, even by colleagues. You can't talk about unidentified flying objects without people immediately making an alien joke. And that's really unhelpful. Yeah. And, and I think that the military would violently agree with me on that subject right now that the, the, to be very clear, officials are not saying we think we've been visited by extraterrestrials. Right. They are literally saying there are things being spotted by highly trained pilots and aviators performing in ways that we cannot explain. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they are. They might be threatening. We need to figure out what those things are up in the sky, circling around our planes, buzzing past our aircraft carriers. And that's where the discussion has gone now. And I think that that is a really important evolution to be able to take this seriously and not like, you know, talk about it, frankly, like children. Mm -hmm. And Leslie Kane, I think probably more than any individual deserves the lion's share of the credit because her reporting on this subject and particularly a story she did a few years ago in the New York Times revealing that the Pentagon had, in fact, been taking very seriously these sightings as potential national security threats. Leslie opened up a conversation about this where we could talk plainly about what we were seeing, understand that there wasn't an obvious explanation for it, but not immediately dismiss it as a subject like, you know, we're talking about 
close encounters of the third kind and right. people building mountains out of mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it, you know, deep cut if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, she, she, I think she deserves a lot of credit for pushing that conversation forward in a serious way. And there have been a couple of manifestations of that. One is the evolution of the very terminology that the the terminology is no longer UFOs. It is UAPs. Yeah. Why, why is that? Why why the shift in terminology? I think I think partly it has to do with just abandoning the phrase UFO because of all the baggage that it has. I personally still like the term identified flying ob- unidentified flying object. It's just it's common parlance and that's literally what it is. But also unidentified aerial phenomena which is what they call it now in the government, does capture a wider set of, of potential explanations, including yeah. sensor malfunction or mm-hmm. you know, even ice or water that might be in the atmosphere that's playing tricks of the light right. on cameras or on the human eye. And so you wouldn't necessarily call that a flying object, but you would call it an aerial phenomenon. So you know, UAP probably is the better term because it encompasses more possible explanations. Sure. I'll make the case for UAP. Uh, First of all, you're right, the cultural one, which is, and I haven't seen recent survey data, but in general, if you say UFO to the general public, it does equate to aliens, right? There There is not that scientific uncertainty and skepticism that was originally the purpose of calling something unidentified, which meant yet to be explained, it has become UFOs equals aliens, whichever Mm -hmm. variety of them, green, gray, that you want to see. Mm -hmm. So in the first point, avoiding that has a purpose. But secondly, I don't like the term flying because it does, Mm. it does pack into the definition, the fact that these are flying objects. So I guess objects is part of my concern as well. These are objects, they are flying and we just don't know what they are yet. When in fact, so many of these visual artifacts have been explained as things having to do with weather, things having to do with light, things having to do with perception issues that are flying in the sense that they're in the air, but they're not necessarily flying objects. They are phenomena that occur in the air because we're not studying these underwater. So they're, they're in the air. So to me, UAPs actually captures it more, and and it helps us to understand that as our technology gets better, we're going to start discovering things like, for me in the weather, it's it's the red sprites. You know, nobody knew what those were decades ago because we we hadn't discovered them. But they're these, and if you haven't seen those, everybody needs to go on the internet now and look up red sprites. They're remarkable upper atmosphere phenomenon that happen. If you see one and you've never seen one before, it would freak you out, and you might think it's aliens, but it's it's an unidentified aerial phenomena or was that was not a flying object. So that's my case for UAPs. Did I convince you that that's the right thing? Oh, I think it's the right thing. Yeah, I, I just I think I just resist it because I'm just being, uh, you know, uh, a curmudgeonly journalist. Maybe I used UFOs in a piece that I wrote about the hearing this week for the Post. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're right that UAP certainly UAP captures the universe of objects, sightings, phenomena, et cetera, mm-hmm. that the government is examining. And they have ruled in some cases or found evidence that these sightings of strange things are in fact weather phenomena. You know, when we're talking about the 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 cases, if you like, of sightings for which there is no explanation, we're talking about a, a, a handful of mm-hmm. them. 
a pretty small number, but a significant one. And we can maybe talk about a few of them if you want, because yeah. there's video of them and it's astonishing. But, 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 you know, a lot of these things can be explained, uh, some of them through exactly like you just said, atmospheric events that we know mm-hmm. about now that we didn't know about years ago. Mm-hmm. The other manifestation of Leslie's work uh, and, and other developments is that you actually did start to see more public acknowledgement of this research and of these phenomenons so that I think it was last year, right? We actually did have a a report that came out that did talk about what the government termed unidentified aerial phenomena and and the fact that there were well over 100 reports being examined, most of which were, were explained by one of several categories. So these these hearings that happened this week were were not in a vacuum. They they followed up on this report in the scientific community and government, basically talking about these things more openly. Right? Yeah, that's right. And I think you can also view this hearing not as intended to add significantly to that body of information that's already been put out, including in that twenty twenty one report by the Intel community, but to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. I mean, they, they didn't really, these two witnesses who are both senior Pentagon officials didn't really add any new information. There were some nuggets. They declassified a new video, which frankly, the video itself is not all that impressive uh, or, or interesting. It's interesting. Well, that's a little interesting, but there are way more interesting videos that we've seen that have been declassified. But the main thing was that you had these two senior people. And I should say, I've known one of them just in my reporting career for a number of years and find him to be an extraordinarily intelligent and credible person to have them sitting up there in front of these lawmakers and you know in front of the public as it was live streamed and having a frank and open conversation about unidentified aerial phenomena without jumping to you know a discussion of aliens and it was rooted in a conversation about these UAPs as potential national security threats hmm. and you know in point of fact Ron Moultrie who's the individual who who I've followed over the years uh, he's a senior Pentagon official responsible for intelligence and security issues. Right. An undersecretary of defense, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he has in his portfolio addressing and trying to understand things that could be threats to United States national security, to the military. And, and you know, we generally think of that as foreign adversaries, hostile militaries uh, and the like. Uh, and so they have to ask those questions are the things that we're seeing the examples of foreign militaries. And I think in some cases there's evidence that they are. I mean, there there seemed to be some evidence that they hinted at that certain sightings of craft are probably adversary drones mm-hmm. that have been operating in areas where U.S. Uh, uh, naval vessels are. But then, of course, there are things that perform in ways that just defy human understanding of the way that mm-hmm. aircraft fly. And there, um, you know, I, I don't know many officials who think that the Russians and Chinese have secretly built aircraft that can do some of the things that pilots in the United States have witnessed them doing. But the point being is that, you know, Moultrie and, 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 and his colleague, uh, Doug Bray, were there to talk about this in a frank and open way. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself was historic. That was a sea change, not to overuse Scott Bray, I should say, by the way, was his name, uh, in the way that the government talks about and deals with this topic. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If I could offer you an extra hour a day in your life, what would you do with it? Would you go for a run? Would you sleep in? Would you read? Would you go hang out with a friend? A lot of us spend time wishing we had more time. You actually can create more time for yourself. It's by figuring out what's important to you, making that a priority, and that is where therapy can help you. It can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it and less of the things that you don't care about but you actually waste a lot of time on. Therapy is a great way to prioritize what's important to you, to focus on what matters and dismiss the trivial. It's a great way to learn how to set boundaries and how to develop coping skills It can help you be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. If you're thinking of starting therapy, why not try BetterHelp? It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. You can make it work with your schedule. All you do is you fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com lawfare today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash lawfare. Could your political views make you the target of cybercrime, identity theft, stalking, or even violence? I used to think this was silly, and then weird things started happening to me. Someone defaced my car. It had lawfare license plates on it. Somebody delivered weird antique postcards of Guantanamo Bay to my house. You know, weird stuff. The volume of personal data online has tripled between 2019 and 2023, and angry individuals fueled by political polarization can access it all for up to 98% of American citizens. And I was one of them. Lots of people were using my name, my home address, uh, other information about me to try to intimidate me. And I want to say that has dramatically slowed down in recent months. And one of the reasons is delete me. As I have said before, there are products here that I read the ads because, you know, that's my job. And there are products here that I read the ads because I really use them and really like them. And delete me is one of the lawfare advertisers that I am most enthusiastic about. And here's why. Uh, It finds and removes personal information I don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. 
It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from all of the largest search databases on the web. And in the process, it helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. And here's the important point. It doesn't just do it once because the information will get back into the systems. It does it and then it does it again. So the first time I got one of these reports and they send regular reports uh, at Delete Me, you know, there were a whole bunch of systems that I'd come off of. But then each time I get one now, there's still one or two or three that I'm back on the system and Delete Me has once again deleted me. So sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there. And as I say, they send regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they have found, where they found it, and what they removed. It's always working for you constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. When you sign up, they immediately go to work scrubbing all your personal information from data broker platforms. Your personal profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for Lawfare listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use the promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and enter code lawfare20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 code Lawfare 20. Let's dig into the hearing just a little bit more there. That's a great overview of what Ron Moultrie and, and Scott Bray did. So you identified uh, Moultrie, but Scott Bray, I believe the deputy director of Naval Intelligence in particular, which has been involved in investigating a, a lot right. of these. As I recall, it was Bray during the hearing who played some of the videos mm -hmm. um, of things that had been captured some of which he was able to explain, say they had previously been unidentified, but through things like lens apparitions and the way night vision goggles pick up on images, we, we can't explain this one, um, but also some things that had not been explained yet. Talk about what was actually new in terms of this material in this hearing and what was not. Well, new, let's take the new part first. So he did show footage, very interesting footage, I should say, uh, taken from the cockpit of an F-18 that shows this spherical kind of reflective object zipping past the cockpit at really high speed. In fact, it goes so fast that when he first played it, I, I missed it. Uh, and then he played it again. You can kind of see it like flicker across the screen. And, and it, lawmakers on the panel actually said, like, can you like play that again and try right. and pause on it? And it was a little bit of a funny moment because, you know, anybody who's ever tried to pause a video like in one scene to spot something in a frame knows how difficult it can be. And they were just trying over and over and over again to get it to pause right on the object. But I will say that that's an important point, uh, Shane, because you have these phenomena and when the videos are on the Internet, they can be slowed down. They can be isolated. They they sometimes magnify what what looks like the encounter if it is one actually is, where in this case, it's, I don't know if it's less than a second, but it's very, very brief that this yeah. uh, unidentified visual artifact occurs. That's right. 
Uh, and it was very hard to identify and to see, but clearly, you know, I mean, I, I presume that they have studied this in more detail, frame by frame, back at the Pentagon. And 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 Bray said, I cannot identify what this object is. I can't tell you what this is. I don't have an explanation for it. And, and notably, you know, still images of it started popping up on social media. And I mean, I can't vouch for whether that was actually the image, but if it was, when you look at it, it is a very strange looking object. It does not look like an airplane. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's moving really, really fast. So that was enticing. And, and it was kind of, you know, one in a series of other videos that we've seen released from, you know, often from cameras aboard military jets that show strange, sometimes capsule shaped objects moving around at incredible speeds, mm-hmm. darting in all directions. The most famous of them probably being the so-called Tic Tac, uh, which was taken by pilots attached to the U.S. Uh, carrier Nimitz doing all kinds of extraordinary looking things and moving at speeds, you know, well beyond the speed of sound, faster than anything we have could fly. So Bray kind of brings those to the fore. Uh, He talked about, interestingly, about near misses uh, that U.S. pilots have had with UAPs. He said that military pilots have had 11 near misses with them. I don't recall seeing that before. Was that new to you? That was new to me. Yeah, I think that that was also new. And he said there's been no collisions. He was also asked whether, and I think some of these questions, by the way, were you know in response to questions that members asked. So members, some members that asked some pretty good questions. He also said that the military has never attempted to communicate with those objects. So you know, basically saying you know you're in our airspace, state your intentions. Again, which I thought was interesting, nor had they ever discharged weapons against them. So they never fired on them. I just find all that really interesting as well, right. because not that it necessarily indicates that the, the people on a ship or in a plane have some idea about what this thing is, but that there's clearly a protocol in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you're not going to fire unless you're fired upon. And the fact that they didn't attempt to communicate it with it suggests to me that they were looking at it and saying like, well, we're not really sure what this is exactly. And mm-hmm. and it certainly doesn't look like an adversary aircraft because we could spot that. And so I thought it was very interesting that they took this kind of, you know, somewhat like, you know, conservative kind of prudent approach to dealing with it. And and I suppose that's good. I mean, it would be maybe not great at all if they just started shooting at the thing because, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why that's a bad idea, I suppose. Uh, there was also an interesting exchange with uh, Representative uh, Raja Krishnamurthy, uh, the Democrat from Illinois, who asked whether or not the military, as part of its investigations, had come across any kind of wreckage of an mm-hmm. object. Had they, had, they, had they examined any wreckage? And so in Bray's answer, what he said was that investigators don't have any physical evidence that would suggest visitors coming from another planet to visit Earth. <laughs> but there's something he didn't say by answering it that way. Right. But he did implicitly acknowledge that the United States has collected tangible objects in the course of this investigation. So his exact words were that we, quote, don't have any wreckage that isn't explainable, that isn't consistent mm-hmm. with being of terrestrial origin. Right. So they do have wreckage. Now, we might reasonably conclude that the wreckage they have is, you know, points to a drone, you know, or some other plane. Um, But what he is saying here is that nothing that we have doesn't match up with, you know, some terrestrial explanation. So we don't have, you know, objects that, you know, are, I mean, this is, if you take him at his word here, literally what he's saying is that we don't have objects, you know, that are made of like metal alloys that don't exist on earth or something. And yet there were things 
that had to be discussed in classified session. The, the public hearings were short. There was there was classified material afterwards. Yeah, I suspect those two things are are related. Talk about what you think could be a reason other than aliens, uh, something that is only suitable for discussion behind closed doors because of classification reasons that has to do with some of those explorations and recoveries. I can think of two plausible explanations, and I would bet that one of these is is the right one, <clears throat> because there were times that this that they, the officials, as you said, said we'd rather answer that question in closed session, such as when Krishnamurthy asked whether or not there were any sensors underwater that might have detected submerged mm-hmm. objects, and Moultrie said we need to talk about that in closed se- session. I do not think people should conclude that that means that there's an alien spacecraft that crashed in the water. I think you can plausibly conclude that these officials did not want to talk about sensors or equipment or things like submarines (laughs) that are out there that were used to spot or recover these items. Because when you do that, you start telegraphing to the world where your sensors are, what kind of sensing technology you have. Mm -hmm. And that is something that intelligence and military officials guard very, very carefully. Whenever questions of sources and methods came up in this hearing, these officials got you know, I won't say nervous, but they, you know, they were very, very careful as officials always are. And in fact, Moultrie even pointed out kind of in a way of explaining, I think, why he was being so cagey on some of this stuff. As he said, look, we have very sophisticated intelligence platforms and sources and methods that are used to do regular intelligence work, including trying to figure out what our adversaries are saying, what they're thinking, what their intentions are. Many of these kinds of sensors that we're using, including watching their militaries, are the same ones that are picking up these UAPs, right? There's not a separate UAP collection system or a separate UAP computer, as he put it. So when you're talking about how we've seen these things, you are revealing something about how we see anything. Um, So that's one reason, I think. The other, I think it's plausible is if they do have wreckage that's of a terrestrial origin, you know, it's possible that they've discovered some kind of new propulsion system or battery technology or something on an adversary aircraft. And that's not something that they necessarily want their adversary knowing that they have or something that they're prepared to talk about in public because that's not what this hearing was about. So I think that when they say we got to talk about the behind closed doors, they're not saying, okay, backstage, we're going to tell you we think it's aliens. It's they're protecting intelligence sources and methods, which is like the most routine things that officials do in any hearing. I have yet to find a hearing where I didn't hear somebody say, we'd rather talk about that in closed session. It, they always say it. There's always some member that asks something that gets too close. Mm-hmm. The answer that would be too close to sources and methods is usually the reason. And this being the intelligence committee's subcommittee on counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and counterproliferation, uh, this is something they're used to. They're, they're used oh, to this yeah. kind of thing being discussed where you can discuss top secret or other levels of classification. Yeah. Anytime the word counter appears in front of something, it means it's going to involve something secret the government doesn't want to talk about because it's the methods by which they counter the threat. I will have to remember that for our next kitchen renovation. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, when you think different kind of counters. One part of the hearing that I that I did catch struck my ears because I found it interesting, but, but there are good explanations for it. I think it was Ronald Moultrie who said, since the early 2000s, that he had seen an increasing number of unauthorized or unidentified aircraft or objects or sightings 
in military controlled training areas and other designated airspace, that reports of sightings are frequent, continuing, and had been on an increasing trend line. Talk about that and and how the Pentagon attributes the the frequency of sightings. So the the tempting, right? I mean, the tempting X-Files explanation is, of course, there are increased sightings near military installations. It's the aliens visiting to find out what we're doing with our military technology and how far we are in developing, you know, nuclear fusion and whatever. But there is a much more straightforward and obvious example, and it's actually spelled out in that 2021 intelligence community report, which was historic in its own right. And it's a couple things. One is that if these are foreign adversaries, you would suspect that they would be near military installations because maybe they want to look at them. There are a lot of sensors and technology around military installations, as well as on military planes and on ships that are very good at detecting all kinds of things because they're there to detect threats. So that may be another reason why the military seems to be picking them up and why so many of these seem to be happening with the Navy. Uh, and the other, and this is so this is kind of like almost like a selection bias. The other reason they've gone up in recent years is because the military has told its personnel, report them. If you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there has been this really big public push to not only encourage personnel to report sightings, but to create a standardized reporting system so that all of the data gets taken in, it's placed in a database, and then when the analysts go back and look at it, it's consistent, right? And I mean, you know this as a former intelligence analyst. Ideally, you want lots of consistent data to help you draw conclusions about what it means. Um, and we can you know, think back to the years before there was this effort to standardize these sightings. It was going to be largely anecdotal, uh, you know, maybe written statements, maybe a video, maybe secondhand, maybe somebody remembering it later. Mm-hmm. Now there's a whole kind of, I mean, I think there's literally a form, but that you're supposed to fill out as soon as you have the sighting. And in fact, I think it was one of the members, I can't remember if it was Bray or if it was one of the members of the panel, saying that they had recently had a conversation with a naval aviator mm-hmm. who said, I just saw something. Um, so these conversations are happening more, and that may be why the sighting reportings are going up. And it's interesting, in the last 20 years or so, we, we've had other increased activity that could correlate to this. So not just military installations, but think about sporting events, think about commercial aircraft. Uh, The number of sightings of objects around them have gone up in the last 20 years. And and I would argue it's, it's not because of aliens visiting Earth, because our technology has gotten better in the last 20 years, and they're now more curious. It's because everybody's flying commercial drones around in places they're not supposed to, right? So apart from the military-specific things like better sensors and more institutionalized reporting channels, you've just got an increased number of commercial drones operating not just near airports and sports stadiums, but some people like to take them close to military installations so they can see what's going on. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that that's another one of the reasons as well. There's just more stuff in the sky (laughs) for people to see. And, you know, people have more cameras now, too, on their phones. I mean, there's more opportunities for people to film these things. I think here about the Chelyabinsk uh, meteor from several years ago that we had all kinds of angles of it. And something like that that happened 50 years ago, there probably wouldn't have been any visual imagery of it at all. 
And yet, because it occurred near a major city in a relatively advanced country, that there were a whole lot of car cameras and cell phones that that people could capture it from multiple angles. So it stands to reason that a similar dynamic would occur for anything. And that doesn't just include potential advanced technology, but even other visual artifacts. You, you will see more of those when you take more pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's this, you know, and that doesn't mean necessarily that there's, there's, you know, even more, some of there's clearly more stuff in the way of drones and whatnot, but people may be more attuned to these kinds of things now to be looking mm-hmm. for them. But important to remember too, that, you know, if we go back to the years before there were drones, you did have commercial airline pilots resp- reporting strange things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it, it's relatively common, actually, if you talk to commercial airline pilots. And, you know, maybe one reason, again, why you didn't hear so many reports 20, 30 years ago goes back to the stigma uh, that people just didn't talk about it. In fact, there's a very interesting scene to go back to Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind mm-hmm. where there's a commercial pilot in the beginning who sees something. And I think there's actually multiple pilots and the air traffic control asks them, do you want to file a report? And they're like, hell no. <laughs> like, nope. Yeah. No, you're not sending me to like to the funny farm. No right. way. Right. So to close out on this hearing, it did not include any aha moments, right? It did not have no. anything that was shocking to you and other observers who, who have been following this. Did you expect to see more than you did? And and if not, why not? I did not because I think that the military and the intelligence community are still figuring this out. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, the intel community report came out maybe a year ago. There have clearly been more sightings since then. In fact, you know, Bray played one of them. That well, that, that was uh, that may have been an older sighting, but he declassified. It was declassified for the purposes of this hearing. So, so no, I mean, I just didn't know what more they really had to say. And 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 certainly, if there were going to be, you know, a massive revelation like we think we've found evidence of an extraterrestrial, you know, being visiting Earth. You know, with no disrespect to Bray and Moultrie, they're not going to leave it to them to announce it at an mm-hmm. intelligence committee subcommittee, subcommittee hearing. That would be, you know, rather historic and and um, world changing. <laughs> so we would have heard about it somewhere else. But but I think that the, the main thing, and they kind of set the tone for this in the beginning of the hearing, was I don't want to say it was an entirely symbolic gesture, but they were largely trying to say, look, we're here. We're coming up here on the record. The military is taking this seriously. We want to convey that to the military. We also want to convey that to the public. And, you know, some of the lawmakers actually spent some time in their remarks saying, too, you know, one reason you're here is that we that we want you to be here is that we expect that you're going to have you need to convince us and convince the public that you are, in fact, taking this seriously, because for a long time, mm-hmm. the military's inclination has been to sweep this under the rug, whether it's been to protect classified projects or because there's a stigma. And what was so remarkable about that is that what it shows you is that the people holding this hearing, for the most part, and the witnesses have opened up their minds to the possibility and, frankly, the reality that there are objects in the sky, they are objects, and there's no explanation for what they are. Just being able to admit that out loud, I think, is a huge step and fascinating and mysterious and, like, 
slightly unsettling, to be clear. But that's that is important. And I think that people deserve to know that, not just from the standpoint of these could be potential threats to U.S. national security and national interests, but the government has the capabilities and the technology to detect these objects. And if it genuinely says, like, look, these things are very strange and fascinating and we don't know what the heck they are, mm-hmm. people should know that. Taxpayers should know that. Yeah. Did you find it encouraging that both the the chairman, who what was it, Representative Andre Carson, right, of mm-hmm. Indiana, both the chairman and the ranking Republican, Rick Crawford of Arkansas, gave very similar statements, really focusing on the UAPs as potential national security threats that need to be treated that way and need to be investigated, that there there was not any silliness or grandstanding here. Yeah. I mean, there you know, the only there were a couple of, you know, I thought sort of pot shots at the administration for saying like you're weak on China and hypersonic technology. It's like that's a separate matter. But yes, you're right. There was not grandstanding. There was not um, silliness. And I think, frankly, one big reason why lawmakers and military officials feel comfortable talking about this stuff publicly now is because it's been entirely couched within the context of national security, right? These are not scientists going up and talking mm-hmm. about this. It's mm-hmm. not a a science subcommittee that's hearing this. Everything around the discussion around UAPs now is, are they trying to hurt us? Could they threaten us? And, you know, this is a function of being a superpower in a post 9-11 environment where we see so many things as potential threats. And if you call it potential national security threat, then you can have a very serious conversation about it. If that's what it takes to have an open conversation and an objective one about this, mm-hmm. then count me in the category of saying, good. You know, if, if you need to talk about it as a national security threat, great. I will say that in none of these handful of sightings of these unexplained, very strange craft doing weird things, is there any evidence that they were threatening anyone or threatening anything? That's no reason to say that they might not be. And certainly there may be craft out there that are adversary nation craft like Chinese drones or whatever, and that's more properly called a national security threat. But it is just interesting to me that, you know, there is no instance, you know, of one of these things attacking a plane. Um, there have been near misses, as Bray said. There's no collisions. Again, not saying what it is, but the the strange, unexplained things have never actually caused any violence. Doesn't mean they're not a threat. They couldn't be doing threatening things, but I think that's just notable. Let's leave it there. Shane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Remember, you can listen to our other podcasts like Rational Security, Chatter, The Aftermath, Allies, and Lawfare Noble. And you can get ad-free versions of some of those podcasts, including this one, by going to patreon.com lawfare and becoming a Lawfare material supporter. This podcast is edited by Jen Pachahowell. Your audio engineer this episode was Kara Shillen of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always... Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.